We've been witnessing turbulent times with nations being shaken by events of military force, financial uncertainty, earthquakes, and wild weather. It hasn't gone unnoticed to those who read the Bible that these days portend eschatological importance. By the way, that's just a fancy word to suggest that portions of Scripture have allusion to what we can expect will be the final destiny of mankind. There are many significant signs for prophecy watchers to interpret today, and we'll be discussing them. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The atmosphere for war is growing worldwide, and after the fall of Afghanistan, all the countries in Central Asia, ending in the suffix Stan, such as Afghanistan and Kazakhstan, appear to be joining up with Iran in the prophetic Magog alliance that's foretold in Ezekiel 38, to come against Israel. However, not all Iranians are anti-Zionists. Hundreds of Iranian activists in the West are openly supporting Israel, and their numbers are growing. For example, a former Iranian Air Force pilot, who is an activist against Iran's repressive regime, said he was shocked and devastated to learn of the magnitude of the Nazi genocide. By visiting Israel, he was inspired to see the spirit of the Jewish people rebuilding their lives in their ancestral homeland. In the aftermath of recent events in Afghanistan, Christian author Dr. Clifford Hill wrote that we've watched the end of Western influence. However, he does see a glimmer of hope. As Dr. Hill watched the chaotic scenes in Kabul, he said he distinctly heard God say to him, This is part of my purposes to open the eyes of the blind in the West. In effect, Dr. Hill believes the West is being given perhaps its last chance to save its biblical heritage. How today's world events might play into the scenarios described in the book of Revelation is unfolding. Many people, if they're unfamiliar with Bible prophecies, will be caught off guard. For example, here's one quite unexpected detail that has prophecy watchers intrigued. And it's the sudden surge in popularity of so many people wanting to wear a tattoo. Is this, in fact, a preparation and a conditioning for end-time prophecy and the universal acceptance of what the book of Revelation anticipates as the so-called mark of the beast? Yet Leviticus 19.28 in the Torah made a clear command from God from the start. And that verse says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon your body. I am the Lord. Well, many English versions render the second part of this verse like this. You shall not make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. I love it when God gives a prohibition in the Bible with no other reason than stating, I am the Lord. 
In other words, his prohibition is simply because God says so. And that should be enough reason, shouldn't it? He's the creator, we are the creation. Well, the commentaries on this verse are interesting. In ancient times, it was the custom for mourners to let their hair grow long in a disorderly, disheveled manner. And mourners in the East to this day still slash their bodies in a frenzied manner. The Israelites, however, were commanded not to disfigure their bodies. The practice of tattooing prevailed among all nations of antiquity. Slaves had the initials of their masters tattooed upon their bodies. Worshippers mutilated themselves with images of their gods. To avoid such disfiguration, the Mosaic law made provision that the Hebrews should wear leather phylacteries to bind as a sign upon their hand and as a memorial between their eyes. Among Bible believers until more recent times, getting a tattoo was discouraged for disfiguring God's creation because the New Testament teaches that our bodies are considered to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. However, historically, even though tribal tattooing was considered to be pagan, some Christian groups, such as the Knights of St. John of Malta, got tattoos of crosses to show their allegiance. The Christian Croats of Bosnia and Herzegovina started tattooing, especially children, for perceived protection against forced conversion to Islam during the Ottoman occupation. And in a similar custom, Orthodox Coptic Christians in Egypt commonly tattoo themselves with crosses on their wrists. Well, some Christians dismiss the prohibition in the Hebrew scriptures as not applying to modern life. And the proliferation of tattoos in modern times is staggering. Some human beings have so altered their appearance that they look like animals, aliens, or even demons. Some have even had horns implanted into their heads, along with various painful-looking body piercings. Women display all sorts of flesh in order to show off their tattoos. But perhaps a person should think before they ink. Tattoo parlors are not medical clinics. And on the internet, there's a link concerning body piercings and tattooing put out by the Mayo Clinic, warning that tattoos have resulted in severe allergic reactions, infections, sometimes unsightly scars, and blood-borne diseases, namely hepatitis B and C. Another spiritual question that has to be faced, are these punctures invasive portals? Not just health risks, but spiritual portals inviting in certain unclean or even occultic spirits. Well, some of the most despicable and haunting images of World War II were the tattoos of numbers forced upon Jews in Nazi concentration camps. Metal stamps worn around the neck turned out to be impractical, and so numbers were tattooed on the left forearm. So what does this have to do with Bible prophecy? Well, recently in Italy, a student went viral on TikTok for tattooing on his arm the barcode of his COVID certificate, giving him access to restaurants and public places. According to Prophecy News Watch, 
22-year-old Andrea Colonetta decided to get a tattoo of the QR code of his official Italian Green Pass, giving proof of his medical status that he had received the jabs. The student's tattoo became much more than a novelty because it actually works. The tattooed young man showed himself being allowed to enter a McDonald's restaurant after a security guard had scanned the tattoo on his arm. Eventually, the only way to crack down on fake certificates will be biometric surveillance of medical records. In the past century, wireless technology integrated with the human body was nothing more than science fiction. But according to the RAND Corporation today, Wi-Fi connected devices such as heart rate monitors and sleep trackers are commonplace. Bionic technology has evolved quickly from science fiction to reality. What could this so-called internet of bodies mean for our lives moving forward? Mary Lee, a mathematician and fellow at the RAND Center for Global Risk and Security, said that the internet of bodies is actually an ecosystem. It's a bunch of devices connected to the internet containing software and that either collect personal health data about a person or can alter a body's function. The Internet of Bodies includes all these devices along with the data that the devices are gathering about people. With the advent of the Internet, it makes a lot of sense to connect your pacemaker to the Internet so that your doctor can be automatically notified if something goes wrong. But in the future, it seems that health concerns will be greatly connected to how that we are being monitored. It will be much more difficult to hide one's identity in the future. Data could be used to create a new class structure. For example, what happens when an employer and institution requires a mandatory bracelet or anklet to access continuous data about an employee's whereabouts and health status due to regulations? Such actions are already being considered by large corporations. Sports teams and schools are already experimenting with wearable technologies that help to detect coronavirus in, com in combination with other biometric technologies. Australia is introducing a smartphone app that will be using facial recognition and geolocation to enable authorities to monitor compliance with governmental mandatory isolation requirements. Individuals will be required to respond to a random location check within a 15-minute time frame to prove that they are dutifully stationed at their registered quarantine address. The app shows their face alongside geolocation data. If the data is off or if they don't respond in time, they will get a visit from the police. Well, the fall of Afghanistan is a lesson in what happens when governments gain access to biometric databases. Activists repeatedly warned that technologies would be used by the Taliban to track down people. But smartphones, wearables, and paperwork like traditional passports have their limitations. Eventually, a more permanent and universal solution will be necessary to provide enforcement. 
In World War II, metal tags were not efficient enough, so the concentration camps reverted to permanent tattoos. The quirky QR code tattoo just demonstrates that a digital code or outward mark will eventually be given to people as a means of convenience to demonstrate compliance with authorities. And without a permanent mark, it won't be possible to conduct certain types of activities and commerce. And that's just as the future scenario is predicted in the book of Revelation. But it's important to emphasize that the current health passports do not meet the scriptural requirements to qualify as the biblical mark of the beast. The future damnable cryptic mark that's foretold in Revelation chapter 13 will be more than a mark granting a person access to commerce. The so-called mark of the beast is described as an act of allegiance to the future anti-Messiah and it will be a form of worship and unknowingly even worship in many cases of the devil himself. According to the Bible, in the future, the world will worship a man that scripture calls the anti-Messiah, and he will be the last false messiah, a deceiver who, instead of saving the world, will be indwelt by Satan as the son of destruction. At the time of this video production, the obligatory mark of the beast that true believers must reject has not yet been introduced. And the rapture, the completion of the church, has not yet occurred. However, it has to be said, lest people are deceived, that present technologies are giving us a dry run, a rehearsal of some sort. These surveillance technologies are preconditioning and preparing people for future compliance and the acceptance of inevitable emergence of the dreaded mark described in Revelation 13. Scripture doesn't specifically say that a health crisis will be linked to the mark of the beast. However, the book of Revelation is full of plagues and international public health crises. Even now, the current hysteria over a virus demonstrates how willing people are to forfeit basic freedoms. Activities that were once considered basic human rights are becoming privileges reserved for only those who are segregated into a medical classification. In many ways, these policies are scarily reminiscent of laws once used to marginalize blacks and Jews. It's been said that liberty lives and dies by the culture. And if a culture hates liberty, no government, constitution, or edict can preserve it. But if a culture loves liberty, no government can take it away. Well, in this present world, it's a struggle not to be apprehensive as we see our governments becoming increasingly controlling, inefficient, confused, and with no strong ethical leadership. We all need courage and grace to persevere. So I want to share a beautiful quote that I read this week by South African pastor Andrew Murray. He wrote that in time of trouble, we must purpose to say, First of all, the Lord brought me into this situation. In him, I will rest. Next, we need to say, the Lord will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. 
Then we need to believe that he will make our trial into a blessing, teaching us lessons he intends us to learn and working in us the grace he means to bestow. Last of all, we need to declare that in the Lord's good time, he can bring me out of this straight place, this predicament, how and when he knows. Therefore, let me say I am here by God's appointment. I'm in his keeping. I'm under his training and watch care. And for, for whatever time he deems, I think that's comforting and liberating. Meanwhile, there's another sign to mention this week that demonstrates we're experiencing the time that the Bible calls the great apostasy, the great falling away. There's been the unanimous election of an atheist as the chief chaplain at Harvard University. The university was founded in 1636 as Harvard College and was named for its first benefactor, the Puritan clergyman John Harvard. Today, it's the oldest institution of higher learning in the USA and among the most prestigious in the world. Like other so-called Ivy League institutions, Harvard was rooted solidly in the Christian faith. But in more recent generations, it's become a status symbol for elites and politicians to gain a law or business degree from Harvard. But did you know that amongst Harvard's mottos are veritas, truth, and to the glory of Christ. But now, Harvard's new chief chaplain is 44-year-old Greg Epstein, whose qualification is that he was ordained as a humanist rabbi from the International Institute for Secular Humanistic Judaism. Ironically, Judaism without God would be like Christianity without Christ. Epstein told the press, we don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. He even went on to say that we can be good without God. But that, my friend, is a delusion. You see, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that every heart of every human being is desperately wicked. And other renditions of that verse say the human heart is desperately sick beyond cure. The point is, we can't be good without God. We must be transformed and regenerated by the power of God. Radio host Dr. Michael Brown noted that to be a chaplain by definition means to be a religious leader, not simply an administrator or someone who believes in ethical living. And so to appoint an atheist to be chief university chaplain is like appointing a Christian evangelist to head up the university's atheist club. It's a total contradiction in logic and purpose. According to dictionary.com, one of the definitions of a chaplain is an ecclesiastic person attached to the chapel of a royal court, a college, or a military unit who says the prayers of invocation for an organization or at an assembly. But if you don't believe in God, how can you perform any of these functions? And what hope can an atheist offer regarding the world to come? How ironic that in times past, students at Harvard were required to be able to explain the Holy Scriptures and be blameless in life and character. Amongst the rules and precepts of Harvard in the past, students were instructed to read the Scriptures twice a day in order to be proficient 
in practical and spiritual truths. Unfortunately, the views of Harvard's new chief chaplain reflect a growing portion of the public, those who reject Judeo-Christian values. And here's another troubling end-time trend. A new study shows that around 4.7 million girls could be missing worldwide by the end of the decade due to sex selection abortions. The research points out that sex selection abortions have been on the rise for the past 40 years across a range of various countries, China and India having the highest number of annual births in the world. The projected shortfall in the number of girls being born will lead to a surplus of young men in around a third of the global population by 2030. And the full social and economic impacts are yet unknown. The study's lead author wrote that fewer than expected females in a population could result in elevated levels of antisocial behavior and violence and may ultimately affect long-term stability and social sustainable development. Meanwhile, in Israel, the coronavirus has wrecked the tourism industry, but the nation continues to be sustained by God. This is because he has a biblical covenant with the Jewish people. And recently, $50 billion was donated to Israel by a single family, the Sassoon family, known as the Rothschilds of the East, to help ensure economic growth for Israel. This is fascinating. The Sassoon Family Continuation Trust was established in 1485 during the Spanish Inquisition. And it recently announced that the Sassoon Trust will commit $100 billion of its financial assets to be relocated to the United States from Switzerland, half of which will end up in Israel. David Sassoon, who is a direct descendant of the Sassoon dynasty, is the executive chairman of a Washington, D.C.-based investment banking firm, and he oversees its ventures across the world. His ancestor was his namesake, David Sassoon, who was the treasurer of Baghdad in the 1800s. The Oriental Patriarch also became the leader of the Jewish community in India after Baghdadi Jews immigrated to India. The Sassoon family has seen its share of injustice, which explains some of its concerns about the safety and security of Jews and Jewish-friendly nations like the United States. Extraordinarily, the Sassoon family has records going back to the 1400s that can demonstrate their journey following expulsions from Spain and Portugal, and their history can point to over 500 years of milestones. It's documented that the Sassoon family descended from one of the court families of the Iberian Peninsula in the 12th century. After their expulsion from the Iberian Peninsula, the Sassoon family was based in Baghdad, then later moved to Bombay. Then they spread to China, England, and other countries. They served as financial advisors to Islamic rulers. From the 18th century, the Sassoons were one of the wealthiest families in the world, with a corporate empire spanning the entire continent of Asia. In Shanghai, China, Sassoon House became a noted landmark. It's now part of the Peace Hotel in Shanghai. In each branch of the Sassoon Empire, the patriarch maintained a rabbi, and their wealth 
and munificence were proverbial. To wrap up this program today, I want to say that as we await the Lord's glorious appearing, we're often called to persevere and to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to do justice, to walk humbly with our God. We're called to pick up our crosses daily, to die to ourselves, to sacrifice, to turn the other cheek, to love and forgive our enemies, and to be faithful even unto death. For our society is increasingly rejecting the truth of God, and even many societies today regard Bible believers as enemies and impediments to progress. And this is all clearly foretold in the Bible. Meanwhile, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are undergoing horrific persecution, being murdered and martyred. Some languish in prisons or re-education camps labeled as enemies of the state, ostracized, marginalized. We lament over the frequent headlines that we see about the burning of churches in many nations, the kidnapping of Christian girls in Egypt, Nigeria, and elsewhere. We're repulsed by acts of violence against God's people. We deplore the fact that believers are regarded as political enemies because we've taken strong stands against evil. Yet Romans 16.20 admonishes us that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet shortly. One of my mentors in Jerusalem hardly ever preached without quoting Psalm 2, which says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Prophetically, we foresee the terrors of such an attitude in the last days. My faith at times may seem feeble. My faults and shortcomings sometimes are very discouraging. But as the Apostle Peter said to the Lord in John chapter 21 and verse 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yes, despite ourselves, we love you, Lord, and we're devoted to you despite our failures and shortcomings. Receive us to yourself just as we are, because we trust you to transform us day by day. In our brokenness, in our weariness, we come to you just as we are. We lay ourselves down at your feet and we say, Lord, we're weary. We're watching. Sometimes we're sick, but we're always in need of your love. Watch care and comfort. Thank you for promising always to restore our souls. So I encourage you, my friend, to find refuge in the Lord and to call upon him, our Savior and King, while there's yet time to put your faith and trust in him. Jesus was never worried, never perplexed. He was calm in complete control in every situation, always trusting in the Father. And so must we. The Bible promises, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess Jesus as Lord and you shall be saved. The good news is that while the world is preparing for war, Scripture assures us that heaven is preparing for a wedding. While hell is enlarging itself on earth, heaven is putting the finishing touches on the marriage supper of a lamb. Amen. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore. If you have any comments or questions, contact me through social media or at our website, exploits.tv. 
And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app for access to our videos and Bible reading plan. Always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.